With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Drivers! Start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. Hey, race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network. Welcome to the Drafting the Circus program brought to you by Dan Blay Racing Art and by Legend of the First Super Speedway. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about this uh, past uh, weekend of racing where we had a full slate of races to talk about. Joining me in the studio, I've got uh, Louise Torres, I have Joey Barnes, and I have my good friend Richard Uden. Fellas, how we doing? We're good, thank you. Doing great. Plain temperature ping pong. Temperature ping pong. <laughs> yeah, hard to stay well. That's that. It's that time of year. So, uh, so you're uh, you're home from California, Louise. You were down there uh, at, at at the Long Beach Grand Prix, uh, which is uh, again one of the uh, the classic uh, United States races. Has been going on since the 1970s. Uh, another another edition of the race in the books. Another mistake from Colton Herta, where he could have uh, he, he could have certainly um, brought that one home, and another victory for Team Penske, making it three for three in uh, 2022 with New Garden taking two wins in a row, two wins on very different styles of race courses, and uh, putting himself into the championship lead. So, Louise, um, let's start with you since uh, you spent your weekend down there in Long Beach. Um, what are your impressions? First off, let's talk about. Um, how the crowd was there. I, I heard that we uh, were pushing record crowd numbers down there this weekend, and it just turned out to be a pretty glorious event. Was that, uh, is that pretty accurate? I say it was pretty accurate for sure. It, it, there was a, there was a lot of people even around the track. There was just a good buzz, even despite the fact we started off the weekend pushing hundred and we ended the weekend in the high sixties. People still showed up, even even throughout the weekend. Oh. They, yeah, that's how. Yeah, that's how I felt yeah, after I can coming hear the back home. Smallest, I can hear the world's smallest violin in the background there, Louise, at sixty degrees. <laughs> oh no, you! I thought you were. I thought you were sneezing. It's like, yeah, that's how I felt like coming back here. Like, <laughs> but no, but no, I hey. There's no winter. There's no spring 2022 in Washington. I enjoyed the sun, no matter the temperature. But but I digress. But the crowd, yeah, there was a pretty really good crowd considering this was this is seven months ago. We just had a Grand Prix in Long Beach, so the fact there was an even good turnout and twice in a span of six to seven months is really really good. 
Yeah, it just goes to show how strong the, the product is in that market and just how, again, how deep the roots run for that race. So, but let's let's start off by talking about Andretti Autosport. Okay, here's a team that desperately needed some uh, some good mojo. They, they had tested at Barber, had a very good test at Barber, uh, and then, then three out of their four cars were very strong through practice and qualifying. Uh, but, uh, you know, they end the weekend with uh, a great finish by Grosjean. Um, who uh, nearly stole the show uh, if he didn't run out of push to pass towards the end there. Um, an okay run for, for Rossi. And again, like we said, uh, Colton Herta and then um, the, the rookie Devil D. Francesco towards the back uh, at the end of the day. So, uh, Louise, uh, let's, let's talk about these Andretti cars. Yeah, it started for Alexander Rossi. He, yeah, the result wasn't what he was looking for. He was probably expecting much better than a top 10. But the way the past couple of years, especially the way this season has started, he came into this trail 27th in points, only did Francesco being lower in points with him among the full-time drivers. So he needed, he desperately needed a great Mosul, but he was consistently in the top 10 all weekend. And I was, was I expecting him to maybe win it? It was just a matter of how he would qualify. And he, and the thing was, is that he showed pace, but when it mattered most, he wasn't really quite there. But still, a top ten is better than being in the bottom five in the in the in the final results. So it's progress. And as far as De Francesco, there's really not much to say about that. Francesco is just kind of going through some the kinks of an indie car, especially on a street force. So it, where he is doesn't necessarily surprise me at the moment. But for Colton, Long Beach 2019 and Nashville 2021 all over again. I think where he wrecked might have been the same area he wrecked in 19 as a rookie in the King Taco car that he had once. But man, it's like, he, I don't know. He locked up the, he, it's a, one of those driver errors that he's got to clean up. And I mentioned, if he does not finish well, you might as well write him off of the championship because right now, when you look at his team, Penske and, and to some extent, Chip Ganassi right now running this, running this show. Now I mentioned about Ganassi later with Alex below who, by the way, got a podium out of this ordeal, lost in the shuffle of all things. But it's, it's good to be quiet, but scary quiet results-wise, like really good to where you run really well, but you don't have the results to show for. It's just a costly error, and we talked about this many a times. That stuff got to be cleaned up. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like Colton, if he's leading, he's fine. When he, when he gets to chasing – is, is when I think his sense of urgency to get back out front kicks in yeah. and, and, and he just, you know, he wants to win at all costs. Um, and again, like I, I had mentioned this, like we've all Richard and, and, you know, we've all talked about this before. I mean, Richard tends to remind us that Colton Herta is as inconsistent as he is good, uh, which is as AJ Foyt would say, well, that is quite true. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, when he is chasing, uh, it's it's uh, what what do they call it red mist? You get the red yeah. mist there, and and so uh, uh, again, you know, if you look at guys like uh, that have won multiple championships, like a Dixon or Frank Kitty, yeah, you can point to how many races they won, but you can also point to how many races they didn't win, and and still walked home with a good points finish, you know, by not yeah. trying, trying how to overcompensate. Yeah, like how many, below. How many races, yeah, how many races did below win last year? Three, Barber, Portland, and Bel Isle? No. We won one other one. 
that I can't remember the top of my head, but I know he. But he wasn't like Portland. a dominant season, was it? But he just, especially on those road courses, just checked off those top five, you know, positions week in week out. Yeah, he only um, had a skid at the Grand Prix, the second Grand Prix of Indianapolis, and then the incident at Game. Was it was raining? I can't remember now. No, that was one he had that engine problem, like mechanical. Uh, okay, yeah. But no, I, I think that I'm, I'm trying very hard not to get on my soapbox because it's, that soapbox is getting taller and taller every week when it comes to Colin Herter. And we said it last week, didn't we? You know, this is a really, really big race for him this weekend. And he will have known that. He will have known that this is a big race where he's got to go out and prove, especially after his dominant performance not six months ago, um, you know, that he is the title contender. And this was his opportunity to get back on track. And I don't care where he qualified or what he's, you know, how good he was in free practice or whatever. It's just, just too many mistakes. And even, you know, because he was leading, you know, the first in, of the race before the first round of pit stops. And you saw this time differential between his pit stops and those of, of Polo and uh, Newgard. You know, it's like in lap pit stop and out lap. It was about a three second loss. And, you know, you mentioned earlier, you look at guys like Scott Dixon and they, you know, they don't make those mistakes. You know, and it's, it's going to cost the kid, you know, he's going to turn into the next, you know, and goodness me, some, you know, pretty incredible talents. But, you know, Montoya or Gilles Villeneuve or something like that, somebody who's undoubtedly the fastest guy in the paddock. But if you can't bring it home week in, week out, what's the point? Yeah, oh, this exactly. is, yeah. yeah, this is true because look at Montoya's F1 career. He was one yeah, of very few that put was, it up with Schumacher, but yeah, he's the one who could go toe to toe with, with Michael on a week in, week out basis. And, you know, on any given Sunday, he could be quicker than him, but yeah. he wasn't consistent enough and he made too many mistakes. And, you know, everybody, you know, and I don't want to flog a dead horse at this moment, but everybody's talking about Colton Herter being the Andretti driver if Andretti gets the Formula One seat, or, you know, he's doing this test for McLaren and all this sort of stuff. Formula One team bosses will be looking at his performance in IndyCar and be like, you know, we don't want this. Or we're not even going to touch it. We don't care how fast he is. We have zero consideration of how fast he is. You know, it wasn't like he made a mistake driving flat you know flat out you know he made basically his brain fade you know it's, it's lack of concentration and um you, know, you just do not see that in any of you know in formula one no matter how poor you think a driver is they're always got pretty good levels of concentration and, and very rarely make and, I, and again i don't want to be overly critical of the kid but i would call these amateurish mistakes you know these are not a mistake when you're trying to compete for a championship in what is considered one of the top five single-seater racing categories in the world, you do not make mistakes like that. And maybe having his dad around is a problem. You know, I, I don't know the dynamic there. You know, I'll tell you now, if that was Gunter Steiner as his team boss, his ass wouldn't have touched the ground for the next three days. You know, maybe, maybe he's not getting that drive and that, aggression that he needs from a team boss I, I i don't know i'm you know goodness me it's totally unfair of me to make these comments but I, i'm just speculating here you know maybe there's not that uh you know he's only a kid and maybe he's just not reacting kids well to what his dad the advice he's getting from his dad i'm speculating i don't know if you guys have any input on that but yeah 
pure no, speculation. Not really, yeah. But so let's so let's talk about a little bit about the guy that did win the race, uh, who was uh, Joseph Newgarden, who was certainly on a roll this year. Uh, got him a good, good, healthy lead in the points now, two wins in a row, and, and we do know that there's that uh, that additional um, big fat paycheck from people ready for the first driver that wins on all three type of courses. Um, you know, a, a, a street circuit, an oval, and a, a permanent road circuit. As I, I believe it's a million dollars from people ready, and and New Garden has checked two of those three boxes already. And we've got Barber next. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Barber, a place where New Garden has performed well and has a couple of wins there in the past. That could be really, um, you know, put put the icing on the, on the cake for a great start to the season. Uh, for Newgarden and for Team Penske in general, who's had some good runs out of uh, out of all their drivers this year, you know McLaughlin and, and Will Powers off to a pretty good start. But um, I, I want to say, uh, Joey, I want to bring you into the conversation here as well. I know you're a big IndyCar guy, but but I want to say, you know, despite uh, uh, you know Colton leading and uh, Pelot bringing it home with a good finish, um, and and Newgarden being right place at the right time and, and driving a near flawless race. I want to say the star of the show was nearly uh, Romain Grosjean. Um, I mean, I guess that's your opinion. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't... Yeah, well, I mean, it's a great drive for him. And, and, and again, salvage the day for Andretti. I mean, yeah, you salvage a day for Andretti. But, I mean, I look at it from a standpoint of he was the only driver on the last stint on red tires. And if I'm – trying to channel like this race in particular compared to maybe what we had six months ago. Right. It's uh, the sealer made a dramatic difference. Uh, I don't know if that was obviously brand new for the weekend kind of situation, but that in relation to a a new red compound alternate compound that was run uh, in St. Pete didn't have the same type of degradation um, differential that we saw in St. Pete. I mean, in this sense, you almost looked at it from a standpoint and, and from, from what it looked like literally from the drop of practice on Friday was that the preferred tire was the primary compound just because you could get consistent running for longer out of it. And it just looked like the red tires, you were on kind of a knife edge with that. And I think that's part of the reason that you look at Andretti and even though they come to long beach and it's like, Oh, we'd love to have that damper program. I think there's something to the fact that that's maybe where the struggle was to some degree. I was seeing Colton fade a little bit beyond the brain fade, maybe uh, possibly that Richard's kind of alluding to, but I think also just from a standpoint of whenever he was leading, I expected him to be able to, to yard and get a little bit of a gap. And you didn't know by the end of that first run, okay, new gardens within 1.5 seconds before we're getting in laps and out laps. You didn't really necessarily know if we were running into a scenario where Newgarden was managing the gap or if Colton was just trying to conserve. And it wasn't until Pelot overcut them by 3.4 seconds is what the over was uh, for Pelot to jump both from third to first. Um, I, I look at it. I, to me, the star was Newgarden, without a doubt. And I think a lot of it's because there's just sometimes you look at, at a group and it's like some unique synergy going on and Granted, it's kind of tough to gauge because with all the gaps in the schedule right now, I mean, goodness, we've 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 been the season's been here since late February and we've only run three races. And here it is mid-April, which is quite honestly (laughs) stupid. But we're look if you look at not just the way that they're able to continue to keep in a weird way, keep momentum when the schedule's losing the momentum, Um, all the new crew members, the new engineer. 
uh, on his box I, that honestly is is kind of a rookie of sorts, even though he's been an engineering uh, guy within the within Chevy's uh, Elmore group and things like that. Um, first time on the bit, pit box making these kind of strategies. I think it's huge. Um, and they didn't necessarily look the strongest uh, every single practice. But, you know, when you look at it, they look like the ones that lost the least. Uh, and you could defend well, clean air. I mean, you look at it, nobody had pushed a pass at the end, which was hilarious. Uh, you know, you literally saw a straight up fight. And to some degrees, it was nice because you could really see that, you know, the way clean air helps make the difference, but equally like how a driver can still do something. I enjoyed the fact that there was very limited push to pass for anybody late because it felt like you got to see natural racing and, all three guys brought it, throw them under a blanket. Mm-hmm. It was a shame that we had those two late cautions, but um, especially the one with Taku ended up in the, in the tires on the last lap, you were kind of hoping maybe we'd get that last desperation move. But equally, I, personally, I didn't want to see that end in tears for anybody because all three of those guys deserved what they got. Um, I, I think it was definitely uh, something special going on with Newgarden this year. I, I mean, I, I picked him as my Indy 500 winner before the season and it's just like the momentum that these two races he's got a kid that's going to be on the way this month too and it just like it's good to be joseph newgarden right now um and i think equally though you look down the running order scott dixon going from 16th to, to 6th and you know Pato finally getting his stuff together and, and getting up there and getting the top five some really good finishes by them and Will Power having the cleanest start to the year that, that he's had in many, many years. I, I just everybody's kind of getting everybody's getting what they need right now. So it's really setting up for a unique month of May as we get ready for Barber and, and on to Indy. I have a, a quick question. Um, you, you mentioned in there and, you know, somebody we've been following for the last two, three years, Paso Award. What? What do you think your comments? What do you what do you make of the comments he came out with ahead of the race about how he's listening to the people that he needs to listen to, not the people that are trying to talk to him? And a lot of people were thinking that he's been getting outside influences from the McLaren group back over in the UK, uh, rather than just listening to his race engineers here in uh, in, in the US. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, when you're, when you're that young, I mean, I think you're going to sit there and just kind of be infatuated with the idea of what the potentials are branching to the ultimate goal. Right. And so, yeah, you know, if you're, if that is the case, and I don't know if that's the case personally, um, I haven't had a chance to talk to him about that specific thing, but I look at it and it's, you know, F one's the goal you're with the McLaren group, you're kind of tied into everything. Um, there's obviously some some interesting situations with Colton being involved in there, who he beat for the Indy Lights title. Um, mm-hmm. And ultimately, in, in a weird way, ended up in the ride at Andretti that led to him getting out of a contract with Andretti that led him to Carlin and then Red Bull's junior team and then somehow circling back to be full-time <laughs> in IndyCar and being a title contender. It's the most unique yeah. journey we've had for uh, Oh, yeah. A Don't guy. forget a bit of super, super formula thrown in there as well. Don't forget that. Yeah, yeah. Super yeah. formula <laughs> with Palo was racing. Like, yeah, no, we, uh, we nearly lost Palo falling through the cracks, you know, a couple of years ago, but now here he is a solid, solid guy in the series with a solid, uh, you know, solid, solid ride. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The thing, the thing that I'll say is this, um, you know, in regards to Pato, I, I think that it's not the first time that it's been a situation where you've seen him 
he likes to listen to people. He likes to absorb everything. And unfortunately, sometimes you, you kind of, that means you, your blinders are not up. Right. Uh, so I think in some sense, it's just a matter of keeping the blinders up, refocusing. I, you know, he spent some time in Mexico after Texas to kind of just recharge a little bit. And this is the result right after all of that. Uh, so I think it's good for him. I, I think, you know, we're, we're, everybody's talking about Colton and people are talking about Pato. And, you know, I've, I've been thinking this all off season. If Alex Pillow goes out there and just continues to be Mr. Consistent, because last year he didn't have, like you said, he only had two wins or so, um, but he was consistent, right? The average finish was around a five or a six, uh, you know, and, and won the title. And it's like, if he goes and does that again, like obviously everybody wants to win the 500, but you got to start to look at that and go, is this, is this it for the next 20 years? Like what's the next challenge yeah. for him? It's gotten like, cause he's only 20, he just turned 25. Yeah. And it's like, you kind of look at that and go with the way the cars are in F1. Like if you're an F1 team, how do you not look at that? And with more of the crossover, more of the involvement, and now it's starting to feel like a two-way street, you know, IndyCar is not the F1 retirement home for Grosjean, Erickson and Chilton. Uh, it's starting to look like a two-way street now where, it's also a feeder program and with the cars being more similar now than they ever have been uh, with the cost cap and, and kind of the unique mm-hmm. uh, designs of the, of the F1 cars. Now you've got to think that there's a reason why people are starting to look at Colton and Pato and, and cherry picking on this side of the pond. But you think with, I mean, I, I 100% agree with you. 100% agree. I think what Pelo has done is it's, it's been fantastic. I think he's gone there and he's, you know, Chip, Chip Ganassi is pretty smart when he picks his drives. He very rarely picks a bad driver, and there's obviously sourcing in this kid that maybe some others didn't, and he's been justified in that choice. But on the on the topic of the potentially, you know, getting him into an F1 seat, I I, I, I do. I, I'd be I'd be very very surprised if an opportunity opened up for him. I would be more understanding of an opportunity for. Paddo or Colton, without any doubt. I just, oh, yeah. you've got to look at it and what's Polo, yeah, he's consistent, he's steady, but what's his, he's had an opportunity, he's been around the series, he's been around the, uh, you know, the teams and the the people that you need to be around to get a drive in Formula One, and it didn't work for him then. What's, what's going to make it any different now? And I, and unfortunately, we all know that speed and consistency and talent isn't what gets you a drive in Formula One. It's, you know, look at the number of kids that have come through GP2 or Formula 2, won the championship and dominated. Mm-hmm. But because there hasn't been an open drive in Formula One, they've disappeared off the radar. Then you've had other graduation classes out of GP2 or Formula 2, where three or four guys have stepped up into Formula One arguably with poor results just because those seats are available. It, and, and I just I wonder with, with Alex Below that that opportunity has been passed now, and I don't think anybody would look at it. Well, well I don't disagree with you, and, and I'm not trying to say that Pelo, um is necessarily that guy that is going to look at that challenge, but I, I'm just looking at it from a standpoint of, you know, he's somebody that I don't think should be overlooked because he's only three years older than Colton. He's only two years older than Pato. And when you, and he's already got a championship where the other two don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you, know, you look at that scenario and to, to play it back a little bit, sometimes the, the, the growth and the development 
comes during that crucial period. And I think like going to super formula, building those contacts, you know, being around team go things like that. I mean, there's something to be said about the fact that we've seen the methodical growth from him that maybe oh, yeah. is to be seen, but and I'll go a step further to say this is that I don't disagree. I think that this is probably being set up for, if we're really being smart, this is, this is the long-term plan to replace Dixon whenever Dixon decides, even if it's another 15 years from now, uh, you know, you look at this and you're like, okay, this is, this is the guy, this is the one two punch. This is the compliment to Dixon. This is the Dario kind of mold that, that chip's yeah. been looking for from the secondary driver. And he's not going to try to let that go. But I think when you start to look at if we can get the F1 grid expanded with whether it's customer cars in my opinion, they're all customer cars unless they're a manufacturer. It's just a matter of how rich you are. <laughs> um, yeah. But I, you know, you, when you look at Andretti's situation, you know, if Colton goes to McLaren, you know, does Andretti, if he, if Andretti's team goes there, does does he then finally bringing up a name that you mentioned, or not a name, but a, an example, Oscar Piastri, GP, you know, mm-hmm. F two champion that that literally should be an F one right now that isn't, and it's an absolute travesty. Um, you know, you looking at guys like that. In addition to maybe, maybe that's where Pato comes into play. Maybe that's all these different factors, but um, this is a very unique two years uh, that we have like this year, next year, we got 2024 with the new engine, but I think it's an interesting scenario because, you know, by then, you know, Colton's going to have enough super license points. The fact that he doesn't is laughable because the weird Indy lights didn't have enough starters in their championship to give him credit was BS, but yeah. When you start to look at all this, it's really starting to mold itself. And I think that by the time we get to 2024 with the new car, that grid is going to be the grid that we're going to have probably for another five, 10 years, pretty solidly, like maybe a couple of comers and goers. But if if you got to think that if Pato and Colton aren't an F1 by then, it ain't happening. Uh, same thing for Pelo, obviously. If he goes and wins the championship this year, if you're Alpha Tari, why not? Why not take the risk? Um, because it goes against their purpose. This is one of the problems that, you know, we, we talk, we've talked about this a number of times on the show. The, all the young driver programs are becoming so, um, you know, focused that it's difficult to bring somebody else in. You know, Ferrari got a driver academy. Mercedes got the driver academy. Red Bull, McLaren, and, and we, Renault. And we all know, and something that's been quiet, I don't mean to cut you off, but... but no, 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 quick, no, no. One thing that, that is getting underlooked, you know, we talk about Colton Herta and we talk about Pato and we talk about Alex Below. Obviously, Colton, the biggest American name uh, currently in the States. But when you start to look over there, Jack Crawford is solidly in the Red Bull program, solidly playing yeah. around with Helmut Marco's money, getting promoted, doing everything he needs to do to just progress. And it's not based on results on paper it's just based on where they see the progression in the data because they have an idea of you know hey prima does this trident does this uh you know all these other ones you know this french and this dutch team that he was with they do these yeah you know in these championships and, and I mean, all this got, yeah so you got quietly. logan Sargent, who's part of the williams young driver development program yeah, and fortunately, too, because Logan was one that I was really worried was going to fall through the cracks. And I think he is, yeah. you know, Jack is a good talent. I think Logan, not just not just a mega talent. I think it's good that he has personality. Um, you know, yeah. Kyle Kirkwood, obviously, over here getting top tens with Foyt, driving his ass off. I mean, I think I think the world of Kirkwood and I think 
we easily could be staring at three guys who could be representing the Stars and Stripes on the grid in F1, but we all know that the way the system works, we're only going to get one. Yeah, yeah, and if, it's, yeah and it's if, unfortunate if, because yeah, if we Kirkwood, because Kirkwood did like had enough, like Kirkwood could have had multiple top tens, but I had enough been for that whole ordeal at Texas where he got collected in that kerfuffle. Because he, I thought he had a really good showing at Texas. Same with Long Beach, despite having a little episode at warm up, but. He's doing something that Florcar hasn't been seen in a while. Well, and it's going to be interesting too with how that develops after this year. Because from what I've understood, and this is just what's been communicated to me, is that he's only on loan to a Chevrolet team, but he's still technically Honda. Honda loaned him out because they wanted to make sure that he got the seat time and things like that. And if you look at this, it's like, okay, unless there's a buyout where he ends up at Penske or something of that nature, he's going to return to a Honda team next year. Ideally, probably for Honda, that's going to be Andretti to possibly replace Colton or replace Rossi. And where do we go from there with 2024 potentially being an Andretti thing, although Andretti hadn't heard anything from the FIA. So, like I said, the next two years are kind of fun and wacky. Uh, 2024, mm-hmm. we're going to have a better idea of, of what this is really going to look like for years to come. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But- here's a, sorry, sorry, one last question on this. I know we need to move on, Frank, but... Do you think that with this, um, you know, obviously the with Drive to Survive, the the um, three U.S. Grand Prixs that we're going to have from next year, two this year, three next year. Obviously, the FIL, sorry, Liberty Media, the, the, the owners of Formula One, obviously putting a huge emphasis on the U.S. market and the desire to have a, you know, there's no doubt there'll be a desire to have an American driver there. But do you think the teams follow suit with that? And do you think the teams are involved? And do you not think that with all of this progression of Formula One in the US, it's detracting from IndyCar and its place in the American racing scene? Because I've always, you know, I used to watch IndyCar 20 years ago back in the UK, um, you know, and loved it. And to, to my mind, it's always been its own unique product. And I just worry. As much as I'm, you know, encouraged to see Formula One branch out into the US, that that's going to start diluting the fan base and and diluting the talent pool, and trying to force, you know, an American driver into Formula One where they don't deserve it, and then when they run around like no disrespect, Michael Andretti did, it's going to then people are going to go, well, this was crap, and then stop watching it. That's an interesting question. Um... You know, I've talked to, there's a good friend of mine who's on the F1 beat um, who who came to Indy. I'm not going to name names, but that's probably self. uh, Everybody could probably zero in on who that is uh, last year. And I remember talking to him and he goes, I asked him, I said, does the Indy 500, like, does that actually resonate with people all over the world is the biggest race in the world? Like if you go like people from Italy and England and things Mm -hmm. like that. And he's like, well, in England, no, he goes, they'd probably tell you it's some Grand Prix, but then they couldn't tell you what that Grand Prix is. And <laughs> I find it kind of interesting that if that's the mindset, then I'd be hard pressed to say that what it's going to do is probably divide the fan bases to a natural tendency of here's your North American you know, fan bases with the Latifi and the Stroll in Canada and maybe an American. And like, here's your, I, I think it's interesting because if you add up Canada with the cell <laughs> and then Mexico, but but I think if you're looking at it from a standpoint of is it 
if that's the mindset with the teams, because that is obviously that infiltrates across the country. So that becomes the mindset of many of the people within the paddock, right? I don't know if that necessarily. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Changes with, uh, with, uh, with the product as a whole. I, I don't know if that forces a rethink. I think that's why the Zach Browns and the Andretti's are important because that's where you get kind of, hey, let's make this a pure global championship. Let's put our influence in there the same way that France Toast has his. And, you know, you get a little bit of the Italian stuff with Ferrari and you get a little bit of the Silverstone and Endstone stuff uh, with McLaren. Yep. And, and so it's an interesting situation. I mean, we all know that in order to do it right, you have to base a team in England because that's, I, it's just a no brainer at this point. But I do think that there needs to be some ties and links by having personnel within within America, within there. And I don't necessarily know if races change that, but I do know that personnel within the paddock would, in my opinion. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I just wonder if it's, you know, uh, and, and we've, we've talked about it on the show, the drought to survive, the positives and negatives of that show. If it's not, you know, the concept of any American driver isn't going to fall on that same back of a, a very contrived story. You know, you're putting somebody in there just because they're in there, not because... And Formula 1 is such a cutthroat industry that I'll guarantee you that if somebody goes over there, say Colton Herder does get a drive, whether it's with Andretti or whether it's with another team, and he has a complete dog's dinner of it and is dropped after six races, then all that hard work you've done in creating momentum in the US has failed because you're trying to manipulate the the um, narrative to put somebody in there. Yeah, I mean, that's where I think the Vegas thing is so crucial because when you look at Drive to Survive, it presents F1 as an entertainment soap opera, which is very much... Uh, in my opinion, kind of what NASCAR tried to do with the three stages and the wreck fest that it can yeah. sometimes become. Um, luckily, the, the next gen has kind of cleaned some of that up. But when you look yeah. at it from the standpoint of, of a product, the delivery is this, but we all racing purists kind of look at this and go, okay, there's we the racing purists kind of give way to the entertainment because we accept the fact that that's how you bring in more people. Which would say bring in more sponsors, more money. But I also think that there's a fine line there with, and and that's where Vegas, I think, is tricky because Vegas is going to explode the sport in a totally different way, I think. I mean, you're closing down the strip. Mm -hmm. What you're going to get there, you're literally going to have, in a weird way, an American version of Monaco in some ways because of the 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 lights the glamour the glitz and I'm very fascinated to see if if the results remain that way uh but at the again the one concern and i think this is shared across everybody is is that you don't want to lose historical events at the cost of widening the calendar i know not to go i know frank wants to move on to the next subject but the one quick thing i will say is this is that i i do think in my personal opinion the sweet spot number is 20 not 23 25 or 30 you do 20 you get your core 
five, 10 races, and then you can rotate every other year between other markets because then you give the markets a little bit of a reprieve uh, from the financial hit that F1 is with the sanctioning fees and the cost of freight, uh, which are astronomical. And you go from there. Uh, you know, you can keep your core markets. You know, you say, yeah. you know, hey, we'll rotate this, but I, that's just me. And there was talk that's of that a few years ago, wasn't there? You know, five or six years ago, there was a talk of exactly what you mentioned, you know, rotating some of these races. But I, I just worry that, you know, they're trying so hard to to break the American market. At a, you know, to my mind, at a detriment to, to IndyCar and potentially NASCAR as well in a similar vein. And, you know, if it doesn't work, you know, because I'm not being disrespectful to him, there's no place for a Jimmy Johnson in Formula One, you know, doing what he's doing in IndyCar. You know, and I, it, Jimmy Johnson deserves his opportunity to race IndyCar, don't get me wrong. But Formula One doesn't work in the same way. Formula One, you have to be on it and you have to be on it now. And if you're running around crashing every other week, you lo- you're costing your team millions of dollars, you're going to be out. It doesn't matter where, what you what it says on your passport. Yeah. And I just worry well, that no further than Brandon Hartley. Something. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's so many good, solid drivers that have just, you know, said, look, you're just not good enough. And I, I really do worry that, 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 you know, it can backfire on them massively, this manipulated concept that and you I need think- an American driver. To, to put a bow on this, the reason why I think that why you look <laughs> at somebody like Colton Herta, though, uh, over maybe a Pato or over some other people, it's not just because of the age and the youth, right? But it's because when you look at him, and I mean this in the best way possible, although they're completely opposite as far as uh, different types of demeanor, but Colton Herta has that like fast lap trait that Kimi Raikkonen has, right? Like you look sure. at him and it's like he's youthful, he's quick. If you put him in clean air, and you give him an opportunity in the right equipment. I mean, he's, you know, for a fact that he's going to be able to go light it up. So I mean, like when he you did look, last week. Yeah, exactly. Up until. I've seen a number of times, like, like firsthand, like when he's on, like it, literally he's on a, he's on and nobody could stop it. But yeah. when he's under 100%. pressure, he, he's, you know, look at, look at Laguna Seca last year. Yeah. You know, it was like he was in a different series. Yeah, he's almost like a even the one in 2019. And and when you're looking at a series that outside of the damper program is a complete spec series, the the driver makes all the difference, and you're seeing the gap of those kind of levels. I mean, it's a bit unfair. Something that for sure. He he grew up at he grew up in Laguna. That's the home, and that's the that's the track you probably pounded the most laps at. So you look at that, and you're like, some of that makes sense for home field advantage. But at the same time, um, in these kind of cars to not have a ton of experience. I mean, when you go look at, at the fact that he's still got less than 40 starts on his resume or something like that, or maybe less than 50 starts. And the fact that he's bagged as many wins as he has, and, and you look at how quick he's been. I mean, it's, it's impressive, especially when you look at it across the, the, the lane of line of data with other drivers and what their results have been. I mean, Rossi just made his hundredth start and looked like he was poised to win a title and, and 20 races by now. Um, and, and you look at that, and he's he's kind of stuck on what six, seven race wins, and hadn't won since 2019. And yeah, he's kind of going down the same route as a uh, James Hinchcliffe. Um, <laughs> so, but but anyway, guys, we need to probably move yeah. on to another topic, and 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 we are we have been talking <laughs> about Formula One, and and I did want to just throw throw the one 
one more thought out there about these uh, three Grand Prix in the United States. And I just, I kind of wonder you know, how long is that sustainable? Because, you know, Formula One has a pretty good history of adding yeah. races in the United States that have either failed to catch on or, or only caught on for a short time. Um, uh, you know, or have, globally, you know, not just or to, US, or to drive or to drivers like hated it like 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 the the 80s tracks that they ran. Phoenix. Well, I mean, you know, you're talking yeah, Phoenix, you're talking Detroit was an absolute mess. The uh, the 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 Grand Prix of Dallas never should have happened. Um, and even the previous races in Vegas were kind of uh, uh you know, put together a little little Mickey Mouse racetrack in the parking lot. So uh, now, of course, Coda is a professional facility, um, but even then, there's been some questions of the uh, sustainability there, just based on on financial. Yeah, I mean, um, I think you when you look yeah. at that though, when you, to to look at that though, I look at three markets in the U.S. Yeah, they're in three different time zones, three big markets too, uh, but two of them are on temporary tracks. So I think that's one caveat. But but the other thing I'll say is this: is that when you look at Liberty Media they're kind of trying to see what they can do to collaborate with the Herman Tilk tracks. So that way the Tilka tracks don't end up looking like a total waste for F1. But man, when you look at, at the multitude of tracks that aren't getting run on, I mean, in India, Turkey, I mean, you think of Korea, um, there's a lot of tracks that have, that have been built purpose built yeah. just for F1 that, that country's literally invested in that no longer gets raced on. So you almost look at Vietnam. It. They didn't even get a race. No, they didn't because their promoter got in the hot water after the cancellation. Well, yeah. All right. Yeah, so but, speaking of speaking of races that did go on, Formula One did in <laughs> fact race this past weekend. And we, we can uh, devote a few minutes to talking about that. We saw another victory by Charles Leclerc. Uh, we saw podium from Sergio Perez. Uh, we saw the, Mercedes a little bit improved there, finishing um, third and fourth. Um, seem to have some of their problems behind them, but they are nowhere near the dominant car they once were. And another mechanical um, issue for Max Verstappen, leaving him uh, with a very very poor finish outside of the points. So and 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 in between there, somebody forgot about poor Alex Albon, who started last and and, and ran like a fifty eight lap stint. Um, to 10th place <laughs> so but anyway richard let's uh let's talk about um the uh australian yeah. grand prix for a few minutes here before we uh start talking about um nascar so yeah australia great to be back for the first time to actually run a race since 2019 of course i'm sure everybody remembers it was 2020 when uh, we were there uh, everybody was set raring to go in in melbourne when when the world came to a grinding halt and uh, you know the Australian Grand Prix was one of the first real sporting events to take a hit um, but it was back with the force this was the largest sporting event in Australian history I think over 400,000 people turned up for the race weekend which was, was a fantastic effort um, you know track changes modifications to the layouts of the track there which personally I think improved the racing um, you know certainly we saw a little bit more uh, instability in the cars in certain corners. And then, you know, that's obviously partly, as I'm sure as well, to do with still the team's getting up to speed with these new ground effect cars. But, um, you know, again, we saw the Ferrari dominate, not domination, that's the wrong word, it wasn't domination, but Ferrari was certainly the class of the field. Uh, you know, Red Bull were close, but, but probably couldn't, you know, maximise the potential there. And, and yeah, Mercedes was starting to... Um, 
to regain some of the little bit of the momentum in, in small steps. McLaren had a good weekend after arguably two pretty disastrous races um, in Bahrain and, and Saudi Arabia. Um, the surprise of those first two races has struggled. Um, so it's, you know, you, you still, you know, the teams are still finding their, their sort of level, their natural level with these new cars and, uh, and the like. But I thought it was a fascinating race. Uh, Aston Martin had an absolute disaster. Lance Stroll and Seb Vettel, who was making his debut this season after missing the first two races with, uh, you know, testing positive COVID. He, um, you know, he had some issues, retirements with mechanical issues during practice and then crashed during the race and got a fine for driving a scooter around. No, it was just all very, very messy for him, unfortunately. And then Lance Stroll had brain fade during qualifying, I think it was, or practice and hit Latifi. And, oh, yeah, it was a real mess for the, uh, the Aston Martins team. But um, it, it was an impressive performance again by Ferrari. One thing that I really did notice this weekend was that um, – this, this porpoising effect that everybody's been talking about so far this year was very, very noticeable on the Ferrari. Uh, probably most more noticeable at Melbourne than it had been the first two races. Um, whereas the, the Mercedes, who suffered from this probably the most severely throughout winter testing in the first couple of races, their car looked pretty stable um, and a lot more competitive. So maybe Ferrari just turned around to the drivers and said, Charles, Carlos, Suck it up, boys. This is what you've got. If you want to win the race, this is what you've got to do. Um, so uh, there may have been a little bit of that in play. But uh, no, I, I love that race at, in, in Melbourne. You know, maybe from, from my perspective, when I was a kid growing up in the UK, watching these races at sort of four or five o'clock in the morning, there was that sort of nostalgic um, side of it. But it's a race I've always looked forward to. And, um, you know, typically it was the start of the season as well. So, yeah, great to be back. The Australian crowd is, is fantastic. Um, puts on, never going to put on race of the season, I don't think, but it always puts on a really good, solid race. I think the changes they made for 2022 have certainly improved the quality of the racing and the, and the, the track dynamics. And, um, yeah, really, really good, solid race. Uh, I don't know what the rest of you guys think about it. Oh, I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, I thought it was a good solid race. Like I said, again, like you said, not the certainly not the race of the year, but it wasn't a snooze fest. You know? No, no, so. and, no it, it, it really wasn't. Even though by that point at around 11 o'clock Pacific, I was already, my energy was kind of gone. But, but going all, it wasn't that bad for Arnold to put themselves in an excellent spot to argue being the number one team in the, on the grid. Red Bull, and they need to figure out some that reliability stuff with Verstappen because the fact Paris made it through without any issues actually did surprise me, honestly. And science, the less to be said about that race, the better. Yeah, and a couple of drivers had had races like that, didn't they? Say Seb Bettel had a race weekend like that. Carlos Science had a race weekend like that. It was like, just get me out of here. And then, of course, to make it worse for Carlos Science, he has to pose in the photos with. Uh, Charles Leclerc after he won the race as well, didn't they? It's like, oh, that's, uh, you know, you, you you crash out on lap two and then you've got to sit around for an hour and a half waiting for the race to finish before you can appear in all the team photos. That's a yeah. bit of a, bit of a yeah. you know, middle was... finger up at uh, Carlos there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it, so it's unfortunate for his part, but that's just part of F1 side times. Oh, he's part of it. I'm sure 
Certainly, yeah, part of, part of playing the game. So, but uh, yeah, like I say, we're um, we're we're fighting the clock here. So I do want to devote a little time to talking about um, NASCAR's weekend in Martinsville. Uh, speaking of snooze fest, is what a lot of folks felt like uh, oh. uh, Martinsville was, which is kind of uh, you know uncharacteristic for a Martinsville race. Martinsville has a long, long history in the sport of uh, you know being a, a kind of a, a bump bump and run, lean lean on the other guy. Uh, the whole race, you know, spin them, knock them out of the way. It's always been a little bit of a, you know, demolition, well, not a demolition der- derby because, uh, you know, a lot of these guys are do a lot of beating and banging, but uh, still continue on. But, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, a lot of folks were just saying how boring this race was. Even even though they uh, shortened it by 100 laps, a lot of folks still felt the race was still much too long. Um, yeah, and, and then the other thing that I think that NASCAR really has done an injustice to uh, Martinsville and the, the fans there is just the, the, the dates that they run Martinsville on right now, uh, which are in April and October. OK, and this is a race that was traditionally right. Traditionally, these were in, you know, later April and in uh, September. So, but, but we're talking. um this is pretty cold in Virginia at that time. You know, it's not yeah. freezing or, or snowing, but it's, it's chilly enough that it's uncomfortable to sit there for, uh, you know, the day. Um, and no. it's just, it's so, I mean, combine the fact that, yeah, it's going to be, you're going to be uncomfortable. You're going to be chilly. Uh, and then the race is going to be boring. And it's just a recipe for, for um, making that thing drop off the calendar, which I would hate to see as one of the oldest tracks in NASCAR. So, yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's I mean, travesty the way it happened. And we could talk about Bristol too when it comes to weather. It doesn't yeah. look that good either this coming weekend. Last time I but checked. I mean, I mean, for, for me, living here in North Carolina, um, Martinsville is the closest track for me. And uh, yeah, Sunday night, it was, it was pretty close, pretty, um, pretty, pretty cold for sure. And I know, Frank, you've been to Martinsville with, uh, you know, a good friend and dearly missed friend, Gray. Uh, you know, yeah, when, yeah, and, gosh, and, um, when Gray and I went a couple of years ago, it was Halloween weekend, you know. Yeah, it was, it you was, know, I mean, it was, didn't it? It's almost snows up there. I mean, it, it's just, yeah, again, yeah. It, it, it's like, you know, Martinsville's, you know, we, we talk about in Formula One the classic races. Martinsville is one of your, your, your classic cornerstones of, of, of NASCAR with its history and the, the stories uh, from the venue and right. um, and, and the uniqueness of the layout. It needs doing justice. It, it makes you wonder. Doing to it. it makes you wonder, though, like especially like the Gen Seven has raced well at some of the places that that has gone that we've gone to uh, on the NASCAR side. But when you look at this, I think there's still something to be said for the fact that tire degradation is still something that's desperately needed and. You, you can't hope to get that when temperatures are as cold as they are No, now that, that time of year. I mean, it almost looks like NASCAR doesn't even pay attention to the damn calendar. Um, of but the track. problem is in, in, in this sort of part of the world, it was 85 degrees today here. So the, if, if the race today, you'd have got 30 laps out of your tires and they'd be falling off a cliff. So it's a very, you know, it, it's, it's not like it's June when you're guaranteed 80 85 90 degrees and it's not like you know it's like it can be anywhere you know you you name it you can 
you know, draw the weather out of a hat sort of thing. I, I know that like with Indy, with IndyCar in particular, there has to be like a combined amount of temperature of 100 degrees uh, ambient and track, whether that's 60-40 or 50-50 or whatever. It has to meet 100 degrees uh, for the cars to be out on track. Does, does NASCAR have like a set temperature no, for, for their No, cars? I have not heard anything okay. I mean, it's, obviously it's different because they're tin tops with, with, you know, wheel wells and things like that, not, not open wheelers that go 220, 230. But uh, I was just curious. No, there's, there's no regulations from, from that perspective. And I mean, but again, you know, sometimes also, I mean, I've been, remember, I've been at tire tests with Goodyear in like Atlanta in February. And it's colder than the Arctic Circle. And it's like, why are we here doing a tire test when it's barely nudging 40 degrees on the temperature scale here? You know, it's, you're right. There's sort of like this, like, I, I don't know what to, you know, not like head in the sand sort of mentality from it, but it's it's a little bit sort of like you, you're missing the picture. And, and they're, you know, they're trying to force like a Martinsville into the calendar rather than giving it, the, the respect if you like that it's worth because they can get some entertaining races there and in all fairness it was pretty dull this last weekend yeah but uh, but we did have a winner uh, we did we did. Probably, sh- probably should mention that william byron come home with the win and um at the extent hey, well, race, how many races of hendrick yeah. how many faces of hendrick now have won at uh imagine the alarm the clocks going off imagine those grandfather clocks going off in the hendrix shop it'd make hell of a noise wouldn't it <laughs> yeah. yeah. you, what's something to be said for the fact that william byron seems to win the dull races just just throwing that out there let's see <laughs> well, he's kind of got a, he's kind of got a dull personality so it, it kind of fits. I mean, yeah so yeah but, let's um, see homestead would all homestead i'll remember for that one i think was that the one where reddix had a miscue on the last lap they thought the race was over that was 2020 when byron won yeah yeah that sounds familiar, but so but no it's like we're by, real quick on byron i said this many a times on and off that if Byron, if when he starts racking up wins, whether they're boring or not, so far has not been dramatic yet. They're going to be a strong contender with him and Rudy Fugel. They've worked together in the past. And then the fact that this is their second year in the cup series, it's a matter of time. They were going to be racking up wins, but to win one that nobody's going to probably remember is, Kind of a tra- kind of a travesty, but we'll see how that twenty four camp goes forward. But, but the thing is, though, whether the race is boring or not, you get the same amount of points, you know, which yeah. is you exactly. know, plus you know, and, and your your spot in the playoffs secured. Uh, but let's uh, real quick talk about the Xfinity race because the Xfinity race created some headlines by bringing back a, a an age old NASCAR pastime of the fist fight in the pits. After the race, um, and it was between uh, Ty Gibbs and um, uh, what was the other Sam Mayer? Sam and those Mayer, two, right? And there's as, a backstory uh, between Brandon, those two. Yeah, yeah, Brandon Jones uh, won the race. Um, and to uh, to to his credit, there there were uh, no miscues on uh, the chant in the audience. <laughs> so, I don't think anybody cared that Brandon Jones won because they were all invested they're in all, the Mayer all watching gets- watching this fight here, and a lot of people are criticizing Ty Gibbs for throwing hands while leaving his helmet on, which is, mind you, a, a bit of a punk move. But, uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah so. no kidding, because 
here's the thing about Mayor and Gibbs. They for before they moved up on the national touring scene, the big the, the big thing was who was going to be the future of the sport. Was it either going to be Sam Mayer or Ty Gibbs? Because Sam Mayer was racking up all those wins in the East series, even though their car car counts have been abysmal, horrendously over the past half decade or so. Compared to where a decade ago, when you had like about 10, 15 of those guys are in the national touring level. But that's besides the point. I felt like Mayer had the advantage because I feel like he had the right team. He was actually doing good, winning race, whereas Gibbs was struggling in the late model scenes for what I've, for all intents and purposes, he was not setting the storm on fire. Then once he was in a Gibbs car and once he was racking up all those wins in Xfinity right out of the gate last year, people forgot about what Mayer was doing. He was. As stout in the East, he had that win in the truck series at, at Bristol, but the late start because of his age and not and having a rather bad rookie year a year ago, everybody's were jumping on the Gibbs bandwagon. But everybody knew that Gibbs has had a reputation and an attitude that has rubbed people like the drivers, the garage, the media, and vice versa the wrong way. To where they're very hush hush about everything, to where we don't know anything until literally the week of the season opener at Daytona, and he will not say it. I don't blame him, but it's just how you're supposed to. I don't know. I don't know what their method is, but the fact that Gibbs is already getting a bad reputation between Mayer, John Hunter, Nemechek, and countless of other drivers, even Ryan C, who had one of the worst get payback incidents of all time, right up there with Danica Patrick and Landon Castle. And Mayer just had enough of it on top of the fact that they both cars were right or battling for the win. Mayer is trying to get momentum on his side, which he hasn't had so far in Xfinity. It's just it's just baggage of anger and frustration. I don't blame why, why Mayer felt that way. Yeah, he's got got a shiner now, similar to Bianca Belair after his bout with, her bout with Becky Lynch at WrestleMania, but good grief. We, we got that East rivalry back and going. It's just a matter of whether or not this will trans- continue going forward. That's the same. We have those fights, but they never carry on for a lengthy period of time. And, yeah, maybe the th- this yeah, the th- the and the thing you have to kind of keep in mind here, so here's a guy who's perhaps um, tabbed to uh, you know, maybe inherit Martin Truex's seat in a year or two, okay? And uh, But yet, uh, you know, his th- this type of behavior and the type of rubbing everybody the wrong way is, uh, you know, while he's certainly got an in with the team that, uh, you know, that his uh, grandfather owns, um, it certainly is not, he's not endearing anybody to his fan base, you know, but, uh, uh, but again, I guess the sports, the sport needs black hat villains as well. So uh, now Richard, I see you want to chime in here. Oh boy, I've got to drag that soapbox out again, haven't I? Give me a minute, guys. Okay, yeah, get the soapbox. So. You got about you got about three minutes. Okay, three minutes. Here we go. Ty Gibbs, absolutely disgraceful behavior, should be suspended from racing, just not acceptable at all. You look at what if NASCAR are worried about falling spectator figures, which they obviously are over the last few years, they need to look at one thing and one thing only. Formula One. What have they done to increase their viewing show? In the United States, Drive to Survive, social media. You know, when Drive to Survive came out, all the drivers saw this massive jump in their um, Instagram, um, you know, and Facebook followers. That's what will drive the sport. Not 
it, it, we all, all of us in this, on this call here, we all, you know, peruse the, the Facebook groups that are, you know, tongue-in-cheek NASCAR and diehard NASCAR and, you know, the diehard fans are like, oh, yeah, good old boy, Ty, you know, storing it out like a true man and a lot of little crap. Sorry, guys. You know, that isn't what's going to grow the sport. Growing the sport is the social media interaction, getting the young people engaged with it, all that sort of stuff. And that sort of behavior, yeah, 2% of the potential audience may like that, but the other 98% go, what a load of idiots and turn it up. Yeah, you that know, was me when I found out we about it at Long Beach. That, yeah, we need, you know, Formula One has played the game perfectly with how to increase its fan base. Whereas NASCAR keeps getting there a little bit, like like more road cars thing is great. But then NASCAR go, like, oh my God, all of our old guard are turning away. So we need a good fight and then we're not going to do anything about it. And then the people that they have attracted go, oh, geez, look at these guys. I don't want to watch, I don't want to watch people fight. Really, I want to watch the racing and all this sort of stuff. So the, they need to make an example of this. I don't care who his grandfather is. I mean, I've worked for a team that have employed a grandson and it, it doesn't get you anywhere. You know, Go out there, sort it out, and 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 and, and make a statement. In 2022, that is not the way to solve a problem. Sort it out, guys. NASCAR, you dropped the ball on this. You had an opportunity to make a stand and and really, you know, draw a line in the sand and show where you are as a sport, and they failed miserably. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah $15,000 fine to a guy who was born into wealth. It wasn't even for is, the punch. No, it was for something on Pit Road. Yeah, they, yeah. Which was the He's thing got that... no, no, nothing. And, put, yeah. That is an assault. He yeah. Could, you know, the, the guy could press criminal charges for assault. If you did that in a street to somebody that took your parking spot and punched them in the face, what was going to happen to you? Yeah, it makes me wonder if NASCAR are ever going to give that... Bristol fine that they gave Gordon for shoving Matt Kenseth back because I mean Gordon got fine for him oh a punch yeah but this and is, on top of the is, fact that an official got injured and that's what really aggravated yeah. me because mostly for the fact that we lost an official last February for a confrontation in name of Rusty Cruz yeah. and New Smyrna while I wasn't there when it happened I was covering that whole race weekend at New Smyrna and it shook the entire track, officials, and community for the re- and it kind of carried on for the rest of the week. All right, so we are out of time. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, where are we racing this with Easter? Right, so uh, the bulk of the series are off, but however, NASCAR is racing on Easter Sunday, much to the chagrin of the religious right. But we will be on the. Uh, <laughs> We if we have racing dirt. on time, <laughs> if we will be on the dirt track in Bristol where they will be putting the mud. mud flaps, mud flaps on the car. I saw some images of the mud, mud flaps that are being installed on the car. So uh, let's all, I guess, take a moment to try to make us a pick uh, for Bristol dirt. And uh, Joey, I'll start with you. Uh, Daniel Suarez. Okay. And uh, Louise. Christopher Bell. Christopher Bell, very good. Richard? Oh, jeez. I mean, how do you pick a winner for this? No, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, whoever, whoever wind- survives a shit show. Exactly. It's, it's, it's let's just, because it'll wind up so many people. Bubba Wallace, go on, Bubba. 
Oh, that winds people up. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'll. Uh, I, I'll, he, does I'll have just, a, he does have a third window to to his credit. Yes, he does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll go with um, Joey Logano just because he won the thing last year. So he's you the picking only... a Pinsky guy. Who knew? Who knew? Right. <laughs> well, right. nobody picked Larson. Amazing. Ah, you know what? Larson's probably a good pick, man. That guy's got a lot of wins on dirt. Um, however, we are out of time, so I want to thank uh, Dan Blay Racing Art. You can find them on Facebook. Get your custom IndyCar diecast made from Dan Blay or his son, Michael, who are both expert modelers. Uh, also, um, Legend of the First Super Speedway, a fine book by Mark Dill. You can find them on the internet at firstsuperspeedway.com order the book as well as look through a treasure trove of racing history information and i want to thank spreaker youtube google podcasts and iHeartRadio and the hoobazoo radio network and i want to thank you joey louise richard but most of all i want to thank you folks listen to us so until next week good night Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.